Wasn't that a wonderful song? Ooh. When God makes a promise, you think he'll break it? Never. And I love that scripture that says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That covers everything. We could just say amen right there. And that could conclude our service for the day. And we could go home blessed knowing that he's with us and he's given us the promise. He'll be with us all the way to the end. But while we're here and we have our Bibles and we have the time, should we not give God the glory and look into his word? Before we begin this morning, shall we just open once again in a word of prayer? Father, we just thank you for this beautiful song. We thank you that you've not left us alone. You've saved us, Lord, from hell and destruction, given us eternal life. And we thank you that you're with us on the journey all the way home. We thank you that sometimes we take winding roads. Sometimes they're steep roads, Lord, but all these roads are the narrow road that leads to eternal life. And we're going to be with you forever, Lord. And we just thank you for that. We pray now that you'll speak to our hearts through the word by the Holy Spirit, Lord. May you be glorified today, Lord. Hide me behind the cross that the words that are spoken will be your words with unction and power that will touch lives, that souls can be saved today. And we as believers can go home rejoicing in our salvation. We just praise you now and thank you in your precious name. Amen. I have a question for all of us to answer today. And the question is this. What will it take you to break before God? You know, God has to get us to the place in life where we break before him. We break our will. We break our pride. We come to him. And God knows how far he can push us to that breaking point to get us to the point of salvation. And, you know, God will stop at nothing to rescue a sinner. He'll go after that sinner to the ends of the earth to bring that sinner to Christ. And that's what he's trying to do. And, you know, until the last breath of the person, God is still reaching out. Even people on their deathbed have been saved. Even people that have been given up hope to live in this world, they get saved. And what a joy it is. It says the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. I like what it says in 2 Peter 3.8 says, The Lord is not slack about his promise. She's saying about the promise. As some men count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's plan, God's design is that 100% of the people would be in heaven. Now, we know that not everyone has accepted Christ, but wouldn't it be great if we could know by the end of this service that 100% of the people here hearing the message would be saved. And then 100% of those hearing on the Internet would be saved. Oh, man, that would be wonderful. So may the Lord encourage us today as we look at his word. Today, we're going to talk about the story of the prodigal king. Now, notice I didn't say the prodigal son. We know the story about the prodigal son. But today we're going to talk about a prodigal king. And I'm going to give you some clues in the Bible, in the Old Testament, who the prodigal king is. And if you know who it is, we'll even let Sylvia participate because it's kind of tough. But if you know who it is, raise up your hand. There's five clues. First clue, this is a hard one. He was 12 years old when he became king of Judah. And he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. Okay, I knew that would be a tough one. His father was one of the best and most godly kings of Judah. Number three, he was arguably one of the most wicked 
and evil kings who ever reigned. Okay? Number three, uh, number four, his end was better, much better than his beginning. Okay? Number five, you might get it now. He was the son of godly king Hezekiah. Manasseh, I heard it. Yes, and I heard another hand over here. King Manasseh. King Manasseh. I was reading King Manasseh's life not that long ago, and I was so thrilled because here was a man that started his life off in desperate condition of sin. I mean, he was wicked and evil through and through. But by the time we come to the end of the message today, you're going to see how God transformed his life in a dramatic powerful way that only God can do because only God can take a sinner and turn him into a saint. And that's what he did with this man. So we're going to turn in our Bibles this morning to the 33rd chapter of second Chronicles, second book of Chronicles, chapter 33. You can also read his story in second Kings, but I like the story in, in Chronicles because it includes his repentance and his salvation. And we're going to see the beauties of that. So we're going to read a few selected verses, not all the chapter because it's pretty long. But the 33rd chapter of Second Chronicles. Before we read it, I want to give you the four points that we're going to look at today. And they all happen to begin with the letter R. Three R, uh, four R's. Ruin, repentance, rescue and restoration. And may the Lord help us to see how all of us can be rescued and redeemed by the Lord. Let's read a few verses from the 33rd chapter. In verse 1, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned 55 years. Not 52, I'm sorry. 55 years in Jerusalem. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. He raised up the altars for the Baals. He made wooden images and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he also caused his sons to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. And he practiced soothsaying. He used witchcraft and sorcery and consulted mediums and spiritists. And he did much evil in the sight of the Lord. Now look over at verse 10. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the hosts of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters and carried him off to Babylon. And when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him. And he received his entreaty, heard his supplication and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. And after he built a wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gion, in the valley as far as the entrance of the fish gate, and he enclosed Ophel, and he raised it up a very great height. Then he put military captains in all the fortified cities. And then listen to this. He took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord 
and all the altars that he had built in the Mount of the Lord and in Jerusalem. And he cast them out of the city and he repaired the altar of the Lord. He sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it. And he commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed on the high places, but only to the Lord their God. What a story. What a dramatic change. And may the Lord touch our hearts today to change us dramatically, to change us powerfully, to use his word in all of our lives. Because we can relate to the story, because all of us are sinners and God wants to save each and every one of us. Well, let's look at, first of all, the first 11 verses. We see that Manasseh's life was ruined by sin. Adol mentioned this in his message last week also. Sin ruins a person's life. It ruins it. There is no other way to put it. Sin ruins a person. And the more a person sins sin, the more ruined their lives become. But we see as this young man grew up, he was he grew up in a very godly environment because his father was King Hezekiah, who loved the Lord. And he was one of the most godly kings. And you can imagine he taught him the word of God. And yet, we can see from this passage, he was not saved. He was not saved. And yet, we can use our sanctified imagination and if we put it into our terms of today, we can look at it this way. He grew up in a Christian home. He was acquainted with the ways of God and the ways of the scriptures. He went to church and he went to Sunday school. But you know what? He was not saved. And just because you go to church, just because you grow up in a Christian home, just because you live in a Christian country does not make you a Christian. Each person as a sinner has to come to God and ask for God's forgiveness and accept the finished work of Christ on the cross as the only way to get into heaven. You know, God doesn't take the children and the grandchildren of Christians into heaven. He takes all those who accept him as personal Lord and Savior. It has to be a decision of the will. And we can see that Hezekiah had just led a great revival in Judah and they were worshiping the Lord and they had gotten rid of all the idolatry and put it all away. And they had had a wonderful time of Passover and honoring God. But you know what? His son didn't live like his father. You know, they hear the expression like father, like son. Well, it wasn't true in this case. He lived different than his father. And when he grew up, he pulled off the bondage that he considered it from his father. I don't want that life for me. That's fine for my dad. That's fine for my mom. That's fine for those people. But I'm going to live my life my way. You know, it's really sad nowadays and it doesn't happen all the time, but it happens sometimes that some of the most rebellious kids and young people are ones that are kids of missionaries, kids of pastors, kids of godly men and women. And you say, why is that? They grew up in a godly environment to serve the Lord. Because each person has the choice to make, to accept Christ. And you can give the gospel to people. You can give them the word of God. You can bring them up that way. They have to choose. And that's why it's so agonizing for parents of Christian parents to pray for their young people. They're not saved yet. And maybe you're a parent here today and your kids yet aren't saved. Or maybe you're here and your parents have raised you in the Lord and taught you from your youth. It has to be a decision you make for yourself today. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And we see that he began his reign at the age of 12 years old. How many at 12 years old would ever be 
willing to serve as a king, but he was the son of Hezekiah. He was next in line to the throne. He took over at 12 years old. But guess what? He did some pretty terrible things. Notice what he did. You can see it very clearly. We read it this morning, what he did in verses 4 through 8. Look what he did. He built up the high places that his father had torn down. Went against what his father did. He raised up altars for Baal, the false god, the evil, wicked, false god. He made wooden images and worshipped all the hosts of heaven. Did he learn that in Sabbath school or in Sunday school? In learning from the word of God? No, he turned his back on God. And that's what a lot of people do. They grow up in the, in the, in the church. They grow up in the home. They turn their back on God and God doesn't give up on them. He goes after them and he will use that background they had in the word of God to convict them and one day bring to their mind the scriptures so that they can get saved because that is God's will. And look what he did also. He actually built altars to false gods right in the temple. It'd be like somebody bringing in something unholy and, and defiled and bringing it into the church this morning. And it was even worse back then. It was into the house of God, into the temple. And he built these altars inside the temple. You said he had no shame. He had no shame about him. He didn't care. It didn't mean anything to him. He was following the false gods. And then he went further than that. It says later on when he grew up, he... He made his own sons pass through the fire in the valley of Hinnom. He actually burned his own son, practicing a heathen custom that was done in those days that God was so angry about. And he cast all those people out of the land of Canaan because of those kind of sins. And now his own people are doing those kind of sins. And you can imagine how it provoked the Lord. It says in verse six, it provoked the Lord to anger because of what he did. Our God is a holy God. If you think we get provoked by people's sins, what about God? He gets provoked by sin. Willful sin like this. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because you can sit in the audience this morning and says, well, I'm, I'm not that bad. I haven't done any of those kind of things. But as we're going to see today, every sin, little or big, is an abomination to the Lord. He hates every sin. And he has to deal with that sin at the cross of Calvary. Jesus had to die for our sin on the cross for all those sins and every ones that we have committed as well. Yes, Manasseh was a sinner. He was a sinner on the outside and he was a sinner on the inside. You know, there's a lot of people that hide their sin on the inside and it doesn't manifest as much. They're still a sinner. God sees on the inside. And then a lot of times you see it manifested on the outside. And people today are proud of their sin. They don't, they're not blushing by what they do anymore. They talk about it on the radio and TV and, 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 and we're proud of it. We're proud of this lifestyle. They shouldn't be proud of it. It's a, it's a sin. And when you have a, a sin in your life, it has to be dealt with and God deals with sin. Someone once said the problem is with little sins that they grow up so fast. And I thought that is so true. People start with the little sins and then they go up to the bigger sins. But it doesn't matter. One sin will fit us for hell. And that's why we need to be redeemed by what Christ did for us on the cross. Yes, it could be murder, but it could also be anger. Those are both sins. It could be adultery, but it could be also immoral thoughts. 
It could be pride or jealousy, but it could also be lying or stealing. And so many times the world says those are just little white lies. It's okay. God hears every white lie. He hears every lie. He hears everything that of our hearts. And he knows that we're sinners and that we need to be forgiven by him. And that he provided a way through the Lord Jesus Christ's death on Calvary that we could be forgiven of every sin. And you know what was really sad about his life? Not only was he a sinner himself and not only was he in all these gross sins, but it says he seduced Judah, the nation, to sin also. And it's really sad. One day when people get to heaven and, and they stand before that great white throne and God brings up to them their sins and that they have rejected Christ. He says, you're not only responsible for your sins, but you're responsible for what you taught your kids. And you didn't teach them to follow Christ either. And then you're responsible for that influence that you had out there. And so it's a real challenge to our lives, especially as Christians, that we might be a godly influence on a sinful world. And when people say bad things, we don't laugh at their jokes. We don't say it's okay. We don't cover it over and smooth it over and say it's all right. No. If somebody asks you about it, it's sin. It's pure and simple sin. I've been dismissed from so many jury trials because I get up there and they ask me about that. And, I, and they say, well, what do you think about, you know, drinking and driving? I say, it's a sin. Thank you, Mr. Allen. Your jury service is finished. With it. <laughs> One time I got dismissed from two juries in the same day. I mean, I want to serve. I believe in the jury system. I believe in our country, but they don't want me on the jury because I have strong minded against sin. And we should be that way. You know, a lot of parents say, I, I, I don't want my kids to smoke. I don't want my kids to drink. I don't want my kids to take drugs. But then look at what they do. They drink, they smoke, they take drugs, and then they ask their kids not to do it. It's hypocrisy. The Lord says these sins are transmitted. Started in Adam and Eve when they sin. And the sin nature has been with us ever since. You don't have to teach that baby to sin. It knows very well to throw the tantrums. And they'll let you know it. And we could see it. Manasseh was a sinner from, his, from being a born a sinner. And then when he was only 12 years old, he was committing all these sins. He was establishing a sinful lifestyle. And God had to deal with him. So God did deal with him. He sent the prophets to him. He spoke to him directly and to the people of Judah. But notice how sad in verse 10. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen or they would not hear. You know, God's message goes out today. But if a person doesn't listen to it, it's going to have no effect. And I really believe that the word of God sometimes can come in one ear and go out the other and unaffect be unaffected in the person's life, in their mind or in their heart. And the devil wants to keep that seed from germinating unto salvation. And the devil is involved and is behind that. Yes, sin ruins lives. It ruined Manasseh's life and it ruined all the people of Judah at that time because they followed after his evil example. Well, one thing I can say for sure it is the story didn't end there. Wouldn't it be sad if that was the end of the story? Manasseh committed all these sins and all these things, but it doesn't end there. And praise God, we're going to see that God did not give up on Manasseh, just like he doesn't give up on you. He doesn't give up on me. He loves all the way till the end. Yes, 
You can ask yourselves today, how many sermons have I heard about the gospel message in my life? How many times have people told me about Jesus Christ? How many times have I heard it on the radio or on the TV and I wasn't... It it made sense, but I didn't want it for my life. I wanted to continue my life. And that's what Manasseh wanted. He had all these things set up. He didn't want to give up his sin. That was it, pure and simple. The reason why he didn't listen to God is he wanted to hold on to his sin. So the Lord up in heaven said, I love Manasseh. I want to save him. But I know that there's going to be something I'm going to have to do of a serious nature, of a powerful nature to get him to realize who I am, that he's a sinner and that he needs to be saved. God knows what it will take to break us. He knew what it was going to take to break Manasseh. It seemed like nothing worked. He didn't listen. But now God's going to take matters into his own hands. Notice in verse 11, it says, Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters and carried him off to Babylon. That was it. He listened at nothing else. Now God is going to take a remedy that is going to bring him to the end of himself. He's going to bring him to hit rock bottom. It says they took him with hooks. You know what that means? It means they had hooks that they put into the nose of the person. They led him like this to Babylon. Do you know how far that is from from Judah to Babylon? Leading him by the nose? Think of that. How painful that would be. Think of that. How humiliating that would be. Think about how how tragic that was. But God had to do it. And sometimes he has to do things that are going to really hurt us, really going to startle us, really going to get to our hearts because he knows that's all it's going to take. It's going to have to be something severe because he's tried the gentle method with us and we haven't listened. So now he's gotten more firm. This is pretty firm what God did with him. That's why I call him the prodigal king, because God had to take him off his throne and had to send him into exile into a foreign place like Babylon, into a terrible, terrible affliction. And then not only was he led by the nose with these these hooks, but he was bound with bronze fetters and he was carried off to Babylon. How sad. You say, how sad. But I praise God that the story, as I said, did not end there. Later on, God got so upset with the nation that he took the whole nation into a captivity in Babylon. Remember that? Seventy years they were in captivity. But God says, I'm going to take one man there now because I love him and his name is Manasseh and he's one who I want to save. And this is the only thing that's going to do it for him is to bring him to the end of himself. Pain, humiliation, depression, he went through it all. He lost his throne, he lost his freedom, and he just was lost. He was a lost soul. And you can imagine day after day in that terrible pit of destruction there in Babylon. It just made an impression on him like nothing else. He was bound by sin, he was held captive by the devil, and he was separated from God. And that's a true picture of what a sinner is like. You're, you're, bound, you're held by sin's captive sway and you're held under Satan's control. You're separated from God. But Christ wants to save you. The Bible tells us that a sinner is in a hopeless position, is in a helpless position, and humanly speaking, there is no hope. Did Manasseh have any hope that anybody's going to come and, and get him out of there? 
No, he figures he's going to spend the rest of his life in exile in Babylon. That is what he felt was going to happen. But I thank God, as Paul Harvey said, we're going to hear now the rest of the story. And thank God for the rest of the story. So their first point is his ruin. And every sinner is ruined and undone by sin. Secondly, his repentance. Some people get scared of the word repentance. But what it means is you're going the wrong direction. He was going the wrong direction. And God wanted him to repent. In other words, turn around and go toward God. And that is the place that God had to get him to. And he had to put affliction in his life to do it. Heavy dose of affliction. He was the prodigal king. We know the story of the prodigal son, what happened to him. Remember when the prodigal son, he got his inheritance and he went off into the foreign land and spent it all on riotous, sinful, immoral living and ended up as a Jewish young man working on a pig farm. No food to eat, starving. And he came to his senses, it says. Well, that's what happened here with Manasseh. He came to his senses in that foreign land and he realized how broken his life had become. How terrible it was. And yet, he turned to the Lord and thanked God for that. You know, sometimes in our lives, it may take a loss of a job to do it. It may take a financial disaster. It may take an illness that is so severe and so painful that it gets you down to where you have nowhere to go and you say, Lord, I cry unto you for your help. Save me. And that's what Manasseh went through. He hit rock bottom. He couldn't go any lower. He went down for the count. And I think when he was there, if we use our sanctified imagination, he was there in that affliction. He was depressed. He was downcast. He was discouraged. And all of a sudden, I think he remembered what he had learned from his dad. I think he remembered what he learned from the rabbis and for the people of Israel at that day. And you know what verse I think he remembered? It's 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. Just turn back a couple of pages to 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14 and, and see if you agree with me that this might have been the Scripture that he, the Lord brought to his mind at that moment in his agony and depth of depression and, and in his sinful state. This verse may have been what was on his mind. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Do you think that might have been the verse that he might have thought about in his mind? And he thought, that's a promise God made. I can claim that promise. I don't deserve it. I'm unworthy. God shouldn't even look at me. But he came in humility. He bowed down before the Lord and he cried out for mercy. God, be merciful to me, the sinner, as that man prayed in the Gospels. Did he deserve God's help? No. Did he deserve salvation? No. Did he deserve God's mercy and grace and love? No. But none of us do. None of us do. Oh, some of us say, I'm not that bad. I've only done this. I've only done that. None of us do. None of us deserve to go to heaven. We're all sinners and we need his forgiveness. And I love verse 12 where it simply says, and he prayed to him. 
Manasseh was not a praying man. He never prayed to the Lord. He was into idolatry and Baal worship and all of these things. But you notice who he called on when he was in real need, in real desperation. Did he call on Baal? Oh, Baal, come through for me. No. Did he call on the Ashtoreth and all these hosts of heaven that he made the wooden images for? No. When he was down and out and at his wit's end, he called on the Lord God, the God of his father, the God of his forefathers. He knew that God had the power to save him and to turn his life around. These false gods, they got him into this mess. The true Lord God is going to get him out. And we get ourselves into messes. God gets us out. And I thank God for that. The only person that can save us is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he cannot turn away from a repentant sinner. When somebody comes with a true, sincere heart and says, Lord, I'm a sinner, please forgive me. I don't deserve it, but I trust in your finished work, Lord Jesus, on the cross. He will never turn you away. He'll never come to you like he could come to Manasseh and say, Manasseh, you blew it. You went way too far this time, and I'm not going to forgive you. God is not that way. He has a soft heart. God has a soft heart to every sinner. And all you have to do is come. But you have to come. And you have to publicly confess Christ and he will save you. Hundreds of years later in Peter's sermon in the book of Acts, notice what he said. Acts 3.19 says, Repent therefore and be converted so that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That verse could have been spoken to Manasseh. Manasseh, All your wicked, evil deeds that you did are going to be blotted out and you're going to come into times of refreshing and forgiveness and salvation. And if the story ended there and he got saved, this I really believe that Manasseh really did get saved. A lot of people believe that. I believe we'll see him in heaven. That Manasseh would have said that would have been enough for me. But you know what? God is in the business of restoring lives and not only saving us, but he puts us all back together and gives us a beautiful life, an abundant life. And it says that not only did God do that, he rescued him from the plight that he was in and he saved him and showed him great mercy. The Bible says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Boy, if you could have somebody that would tell you, here's the before salvation and here's the after, this man had it. I mean, you could, we we read it right here in the chapter, the before, his wicked, sinful ways, and now his after. He's a new person. And you say, well, let's see when he goes back to the, to the land what's going to happen to him, because God allowed him to go back to his people, to go back to Judah and actually become king again. That's the mercy of God. When he puts broken lives back together, he doesn't put it back halfway and say, well, I'm going to forgive you and I'll put you over here and you'll be on a shelf here and you'll go to heaven. But no, he saves us to use us. And can you imagine the testimony that he had when he got back to Judah and how he told people of what happened to him and he went to Babylon and he came to his senses and he accepted the Lord and the Lord brought him back? All those people that he had influenced for evil are now going to be influenced for God. And that's exactly what happened. We see his restoration was completed in verses 14 to 17. If you look back at the 33rd chapter and you see what what he did, because it's a reversal of all the things that he did before earlier in the chapter. Notice this is exciting. 
It says, look at verse 15. He took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem. And he cast them out of the city. Is that a change of life or what? When somebody accepts Christ, it results in an immediate, dramatic change of life. He didn't go back to the old ways again and say, well, I'm back now. We're going to do it the same way. We're going to... No, he changed his way of living. He truly had repented. And now God was in his life. The Lord was in his life. And he was no longer in control. He was going to sit on the throne, but God, the king, was really going to rule. And that's what happens when you accept Christ in your life. You say, Lord, I'm getting off the throne and I want you to take the throne and lead my life. And that's what Manasseh did. That's why I think his conversion is so exciting because God did it. No man could do it. Nobody could change Manasseh. Everybody tried. God changed him by breaking him, breaking him of his pride and his self-will and his, his own ways and bringing him to salvation. Yes, only the Lord can do that. He was held captive for so long by sin and by the devil. And yet God saved him. And I can't wait to meet him in heaven. I think it's going to be great. And we can have stories to tell all of us of how the Lord saved us and changed our lives. And here's a man that had one of the greatest and most dramatic changes of life in the whole Bible. And we praise God for it. Well, today, as we conclude the message, we're going to ask you to, to consider as we bow our heads this morning, are you living the life of Manasseh, the before Manasseh, or are you the after Manasseh? That's a choice. And maybe you're here this morning and you're in the before and you know that you have sinned. You know that you're not perfect. You know that God is not pleased with your lifestyle. You want to be like the second Manasseh, the new Manasseh. You know, when you get saved, he takes away the old and he gives the new. Just like the old dean dies, the new dean lives. And that's true of every person here this morning. And he wants to make you a new person. And no matter how far away you've gotten from him, no matter what you've done, don't think that any sin is too far away for God to rescue you and re redeem you. Because as we've talked about today, sin ruins us. But if we repent, he will rescue us and he will restore us. And he'll do it perfectly. And I love that. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, today is the day to pray and accept the Lord as your Savior so that you can go home a saved person. And for those of us who are here today that are born again, isn't this encouraging that God changes our lives? And maybe sometime as believers, sometimes we can get off the path too and we can go astray and we can get outside of God's will. And what is the, what is the remedy to it? Repent, repent and turn back to him. God knows what it's going to take to get you to break and get me to break, and he'll do it. He will not let his child go off in this world for very long and defile himself. He's going to bring us back. He loves us too much. So may the Lord encourage our hearts today from the life of this king, the prodigal king, who God had to take into the most severe circumstances to bring him to himself. You ask Manasseh, was it worth it, Manasseh? Going by the hook, by the nose, all the way there and being bound in fetters and in a foreign land where you can't even understand the people that are your captors. Yes, because I came to know the Lord. 
And we can look back at our past life and we can see all the sinful landscape and we can say, thank you, Lord, that you allowed it to happen because you got me to that place where I saw I had no way out but to turn to you. May we turn to the Lord in prayer this morning and ask him. Heavenly Father, as we pray this morning, we pray if there is anyone here who does not yet know the Lord, they're in the first, they're like the first Manasseh. They're like Manasseh before he was saved. And we pray that they will come to you today like a little child, humbly repenting of their sin, asking you for forgiveness, Lord. And we just pray that someone here today will accept Christ as Lord and Savior before they go outside the doors, that they would talk to one of the elders or one of the, the men or women here before they leave. And Lord, we pray for us as believers that we would rejoice in our salvation and realize that you have changed our lives and we have a message to tell, just like Manasseh, who lived a different life than the people around him. And Lord, help us to, when we go astray, to repent, to get right with you and to walk right in the center of your will. And Lord, we just commit ourselves to you and thank you for this opportunity once again to be here in this place to hear from your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.